Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining the podcast of First Church. I'm glad you could join us. This message is from the Section 7 uh, Youth Rally, and it was preached by uh, A.J. Holloway. It was a great word, encouraging word to our section, and so I pray you're blessed again by this message today. Praise God. It's good to be here this evening. I honor all of you. The host pastor, Brother Wisden, I honor you if you're here. I honor you if not. I honor the team that's here. I honor Brother Jonathan. Thank you so much for asking me to be here tonight. Today is my son's birthday, so this must be special. Uh, amen. For me to be here and miss my son's birthday, I have a flight out early in the morning, so I'm looking forward to being with my family. But while I'm here, I feel a word on me. And um, we're going to go somewhere in the Holy Ghost. We'll all go there if you want to. Those that want to will, those that don't, won't. And so I invite all of you to go with me to a place in the spirit that I feel on me tonight. I feel a heaviness. I feel a challenge. I feel a call. And I believe that if you will answer the call, God's going to do something supernatural in your life this evening. And he's going to change your life, not because I'm preaching, but because that's the call in every church service. Amen. If you remain standing, I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, verse 35, and then I'm going to go right to the very next book, which is Leviticus 1. But if you don't, if you're not a Bible quizzer and you're not real skilled with your sword yet, we got it on the screens to help you out. Amen. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. This is Moses having a supernatural meeting at a church, a tabernacle. It says, then the cloud, that's the presence of God, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of, what's that word right there? Of the congregation, of, of meeting. This is the place where God shows us clearly in this text that God builds tabernacles not to build tabernacles to show how big they can get. God doesn't build tabernacles to see how many people he can stuff into them. God builds tabernacles to meet there with you. The God of all eternity, the one who can fill all of space, all of time, came and sat in a little bitty room called the Most Holy, and he sat on a seat that was four foot long. He could fill all space at all time, but he sat on a four foot box to meet you. And ironically, that box was called a mercy seat. If you don't grasp this, the rest of the Bible is not going to mean a whole lot to you. And it's not going to mean a whole lot to you until you get a revelation that you're not that important. When you get that revelation that I'm filled with sin and I'm not that important and God can fill all space and time and yet he sat on a four-foot box to meet me, that's pretty significant. It says, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle for his meeting. I want to meet with God. He's there to meet with me. And that's, this should frustrate you if you're really hungry for God. You should read this and get a little agitated. And if it doesn't agitate you, then you're the one I'm really reaching for tonight. Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. Wait a minute, that's the presence of God. So I'm supposed to meet with him, his presence there, but I can't enter it because of him? Why? Because he's so holy. He's so holy and I'm not. So how can me, how can I get to him? Amen. And so look what happens right in the very next book, because you're not supposed to just stop and reset and go to the next book, which is Leviticus, and start all over. It's a continuation of the narrative. 
So the, the tension is set. Moses wants to meet with God, and he can't. And watch this. This should frustrate you even more. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. I want to just pull as much out of this as I can, and I want to preach to you tonight the call of the deep. Just like it or not, God is calling for you. He's not screaming from the heavens. He is humbly calling all of you. And if we're not careful, we'll get so intoxicated with everything in our atmosphere that we don't hear this sacred call of a God wanting to meet with us. And so I want you to tune in right now. And the best way you can tune in to that sweet, still, small voice is don't worry about what's going to happen. Don't worry about how long is he going to preach. Don't worry about what's happening after service. Can you just lock in on right now, presently? Lift up your hands. Don't think about anything else. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. And just can you hear that call? Can you hear that call? If you do, I'd like for you to just respond to it right now before we go any further. Can you respond with just some hunger? I'm not going to push you. I want your hunger to do its job right now. Father, in your name right now, Jesus, I'm here tonight to call your people closer to you. I pray that you equip me with the words, the anointing that is needed to draw people closer into your presence. Help me to do it with conviction tonight. Help me to do it with anointing. Help me to do it with the power of your word because I'm submitted to your word. Father, in the name of Jesus, you do what only you can do tonight. In the name of Jesus, give him a hand clap. Praise God. You may be seated. It was in March of 2012 that there was a deep sea diver who goes by the name of James Cameron. He successfully emerged from the deepest place on our planet, the Mariana Trench, which is just a little over 32,000 feet deep. But years prior to this landmark moment from this scientist emerging from the depths, James would look upon the deep and long to discover its secrets. He would wonder, and he would wonder as well, what is out there beyond the sandy-laden shores? What is out there in the deep? What is out there in that world that I have yet to experience? You see, essentially, the deep would call to him. James Cameron would be frustrated that our scientists knew more about space. They knew more about planets that were light years away and yet know nearly nothing about the deep places right here on our own planet. How is it that our scientists can know so much about Mars, put a man on the moon, and still have not explored the depths right here at home? There is a problem when a nation or a group or a, social, a society or a group of people longs for nothing but high things and forsakes deep things. In fact, you'll see this image up here, if you can put that image. This is what he set out to build. He said, if I'm going to go to the place that is calling to me, I need to build a vessel. And Brother Angel, you could not fully know until this moment how much in the Holy Ghost you were because you were right in alignment with what God was getting ready to minister through me. Your text is the vessel that is going to take you to deep places. When you get a revelation that you are not your own, 
Then, by some chance, can you get directed into a position to long for deep things and maybe hear a voice calling from the deep places to you? To plunge to the depths, he and a group of scientists would have to build a vessel capable of making the journey because you see the pressure at the bottom of the Mariana Trench was 16,000 pounds per square inch. To put that into perspective, if you want to know what kind of pressure that is, imagine three Hummers parking itself on top of you. That's the type of pressure that he had to withstand to go to a deep place. And so to go to a place where so much pressure exists, a particular vessel has to be built. Because you can't just free dive into that place. You cannot just go down there willy-nilly. You have to prepare for a place such as this. You had to build a vessel. And so they did. They built what they called the Deep Sea Challenger. Because they knew that this would be a challenge and a landmark, but still the deep was calling unto them and there was something that was out there that they wanted to explore. So what happens when there is a challenge before you, you lock in on the thing that you're curious about and you say, it doesn't matter what kind of challenge it is, doesn't matter what it costs, I need to know what is in the deep. And so it would be constructed of thick metal, a hole that would be so thick that even though it was constructed of the highest quality materials, even when it dove to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, it would still compress in on itself over three inches as the weight would begin to crush in on two and a half inches of raw steel made of space-grade materials because... Pressure is the one thing that has kept people for ages from going to the deep. That's why they didn't explore the depths was because of the pressure. This is why we could put men on the moon because we didn't know what to do about the pressure in the deep. And I've learned in 17 years of full-time ministry that often what is true in the natural realm will often scream and speak to me from the supernatural realm. And I have had a frustration in my soul as I look upon my peers. I have looked upon even some elders, and I have looked upon your generation. I have wondered, why is it that you are so enamored with youth congresses? Why is it that you are so enthralled with youth rallies? And why is it that you are so wrapped up in all these high experiences, but you can't tell me a thing about what God's voice sounds like? I'm not here to put anybody on blast. I'm here to call you tonight. Why is it that you can tell me and you can quote to me or you can tweet your favorite preacher, but you can't tell me what angels sound like in a prayer meeting? When was the last time you heard angels' wings because you were in a prayer meeting longer than 15 minutes? Can you tell me about what it's like when you see the sunrise because you've been in an all-night prayer meeting? Does anybody know what your body feels like after a 7-day fast, a 14-day fast, a 21-day fast, a 30-day fast? Have you ventured out there yet? And I don't I don't blame you. It's this pressure Nobody wants to be spiritual anymore because spiritual is equal to weird. And this has burdened my soul. And everywhere I preach, I'm calling people. Please, please, please be spiritual. Please be spiritual. I will not promise you and I will not get up here and put up a front that people won't label you as strange. But something in you has to long for something out there that you haven't experienced yet. So much that you say, whatever it costs, whatever I've got to build, I will be the vessel. 
And I know it's going to be a challenge, but I must experience. Has anybody had something hit your soul lately and you've wondered, what is it like in an all-night prayer meeting? What is it like? I hear these, I hear these elders talking about all-night prayer meetings. I hear about fasting, these extended fasts. What is it like? What does it feel like? What is it like to meet an angel? What is it like to hear the audible voice of God? What is it like to have a prophetic vision? What is it like to have a dream? What is it like to go into a place so deep? I don't know. Why don't you go there and tell us what you felt when you went? There would be a man in the Bible who would have the same call. Moses also would hear the voice of deep calling unto him. This call began in Exodus 3 when Moses would meet a holy God standing upon holy ground while looking upon a burning bush. And in that holy moment, that sacred moment, that particular place, he turns aside and he says, I must see this great sight. Curiosity captivated him. And he said, I must see what this is all about. And as he approaches the holiness of God, God speaks forth from something mundane, something not worthy, something just random, but it still holds the divine. And that random, unholy, not very particular, not very beautiful thing, a bush, speaks forth and says don't come any closer because this is holy ground this is a by the way the word holy in Hebrew is kadosh it's heavy ground there's a lot of pressure here Moses this is heavy where you're coming and if you want to come here you're going to have to take off the things where you've been walking because where you've been can't come here the places you've been walking cannot come to this place. It's too heavy for your past. So here's what I'm doing. My grace is calling you to this place. And you're just, all you got to do is let go where you've been. Places where you've walked, you, you don't get to walk there anymore. Just come a little closer. What do you do in that scenario? You want to see a burning bush. And that bush that could hold fire and not be consumed was the greatest testimony because Moses would have to wonder himself, if that bush can hold the presence of God, then what can I do who's made in his image? Surely God can use me if I saturate in this. And sure enough, he would saturate. Little did Moses know that this average burning bush that wasn't consumed by fire would be a prophetic call upon even his own life because Moses would carry this experience upon him as well. This holy moment provokes him to lead not just one person, not just two people, but two million people out of captivity, out of a secular culture. This is what happens when you turn aside to see. You begin to change nations when you turn aside and see and you take upon yourself heaviness and you accept the pressure and you let go of where you've been walking. You can go into secular societies and flat-footed, bold-chested, square-shouldered, you can look at people that would defy your God and say, listen, I stand with God and I know His voice and what I say, He's going to back it up. The problem is the reason why He's not backing us up because we're not with Him
He's successful, and after exiting their world through the baptism of a Red Sea, they find themselves in Exodus 19, standing at the foot of a mountain because God wanted to take Moses from one level of glory to a whole new dimension of glory. This is what happens when you pursue God. You experience burning bushes in your infancy, but when you obey him, you lead out to me and people, and you see waters part. But what happens in Exodus 19 is he looks at a whole mountain, and this is what it says. It says that fire fell on a mountain because when you can just, sit with the heaviness of a burning bush experience, then God can trust you and graduate you to a burning mountain. I'm just waiting on somebody. This has been my curiosity. I preach a lot of youth events. I preach a lot of youth rallies. And I've only seen two that went into all-night prayer meetings. That's about this response I get every time I say that. And I'm not joking. I appreciate you laughing, but I'm not kidding. Where are those teenagers at? My brother, Saturday tomorrow, I don't care what tomorrow is. I'm calling on deep people tonight. Exodus 19 is a profound thing that's taking place. It says that there's flashes of lightning. There's light there. There's smoke that falls on it. And when you read it in Hebrew, it doesn't say thunders and lightnings. It says that a voice came down in the fire. By the way, Exodus 19 was 50 days after Passover. This was Pentecost. It was literally the day of Pentecost before it was a thing. And languages are coming down in fire. And God has the audacity to set a mountain on fire. And he has the audacity to look at Moses and he says, come up here. Now imagine you're Moses. He said, now look, last time I just came up to the bush. I just, all I had to do last time was take my shoes off. You're asking me to walk through fire and climb a mountain? How can I do that? And when you read it in the original Hebrew language, it says that when he opened his mouth, out came the evidence of a voice. Why? How can you go be with a holy God? Holiness has to come off the mountain and touch you to give you the call to come up to a holy mountain. He had a Pentecostal experience. Flashes of light, smoke, extravagant, crowds were all around. It was a highly emotional setting. But you got to pay attention to the text and read every single word. It says that God called all of the Israelites up to that mountain. He said, Moses, bring them to the foot of the mountain because I want to make all of them priests. And do you know what the people did? The Bible said they feared the voice. And they said, no, Moses, you go up there for us. So rather than become a nation of priests, they became a nation with a priest. You do it, preacher. You're called. You went to Bible college. You're the one with the burden. Go there and tell us how it went. I don't accept that. Because it's written in the plural sense in Hebrew. Ha kohanim. I want all of them to be priests. No, no, I, just, I would rather be a nation with a priest. Moses, go tell us what it was like up there. And we're satisfied with hearing preaching. We're satisfied with listening to YouTube. We're satisfied with listening to old timers. We're, we're satisfied with listening to new timers. And we're just satisfied with hearing all these people have all these experiences and wondering what it's like. Here's what I suggest to you. Build a vessel. Because he's no respecter of persons. What he did for one man of God or woman of God, he wants to do it for everybody. Don't be satisfied with just being a nation with a priest. Why don't you go to your pastor and say, brother, I had a vision the other night. Maybe it'll edify you. Maybe it'll confirm what God gave you to preach today. Listen, I was in the prayer meeting before service and I saw something in the prayer room and I'm here to testify about it. 
Let me tell you about what happened to me as a 17-year-old kid. My dad was, was helping me grow in ministry, and I was getting ready to come to church that night. And on the way to church, before I got to church, I was at Lowe's, and God spoke to me while I was at Lowe's. He said, there's going to be a man here today that has a brain tumor. I want you to go lay hands on him and pray for him. And I said, oh, God, not me. This is Lowe's. You don't do that stuff in Lowe's. You buy lumber in Lowe's. And I said, okay, God, well, look, if, he, if, I, if the door's open when I get there and he's the first man I see, I'll go pray for him. I was fleecing God. Big mistake. Because when those doors opened up, I was the first man I laid eyes on was Bill. And there he was, standing there. And I thought, oh, God, I got to do it now. And so I walked past there, and I said, Mr. Bill, come here. And he walked over there, and I was all sheepish. We were on the back lumber, or the millworks aisle. And I looked at him. I said, Mr. Bill, the Holy Ghost spoke to me today. I know that's weird. You probably don't hear that every day at Lowe's. But the Holy Ghost spoke to me on the drive here, and he told me that you have a brain tumor. You probably don't even have a brain tumor. That's probably me just drinking Pepsi. I don't know what's going on. I just That's what God told me. I, I had Sonic on the way here, so maybe, that was, maybe that's the issue. I don't know. But God spoke to me and said that you have a brain tumor, and he wants me to pray for you. Tears started rolling down that man's cheeks. He looked at me, he said, I just got the report a week ago that I've got brain cancer. And he raised his hands. He said, whatever God told you to do, do it to me right now. And I stretched forth my hand and I laid hands on him. And he began to pray in the spirit. This man has never been to a church. He was just a good old Baptist guy. He put his hands down and he walked off. That's not the revival I had in my mind, Brother Jonathan. I imagine all of Lowe's praying through. And Bill walked off. And I thought, well, okay, that was weird. That was awkward. I didn't, that's not how I expected it. In my mind, I had, just, I had romanticized it that it was going to break out into a mass revival in all of Monroe, Louisiana. Mr. Bill came around the corner, and he had a man by the hand whose name was Horace. And he said, would you pray for Horace as well? And I said, absolutely. And I reached, reached forth my hand, and I prayed for him. And God filled him with the Holy Ghost right there in Lowe's. Later that evening, I was on my way home from that, that day to church. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, listen, this is what happened. He said, well, good. I want you to testify about it tonight. I got up in the platform, and all I did, I didn't know how to preach. I don't know what I was doing. I just stood up and told what happened in a pressure-filled, deep moment. And I just got before the church of all elders, and I looked at them, and I said, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to preach, but this is what I know, and this is what I experienced today. This is what I saw, and this is what God said, and this is what God did. It completely broke out. We didn't have preaching that night. People were slain in the Spirit. People were baptized. People were filled with the Holy Ghost. All because somebody just said, uh, I know the pressure's real, and it's a little frightening, but I'm going to step out on it. I'm just curious, where are you at? God would give Moses the Ten Commandments to live and be governed by. And yet now in Exodus 40, where our text is, there is no smoke. There are no lights. There are no crowds. There is no emotion. You see, at this moment in your Bible reading, Moses is approximately nine months removed from the highly energetic Pentecostal moment that happened at the mountain. Nine months. Could you imagine going up to the presence of God and he said, build me a tabernacle so that I can dwell with you. And Moses is so, so full of the spirit. And he said, oh, absolutely. I'll build whatever you want me to build. I'll build the vessel as long as I get to stay in this atmosphere right here that I'm experiencing in my Pentecost moment. As long as I can stay here with you, God, I'll build whatever you ask. And he goes down and he starts building a tabernacle. In fact, brother, come here. You come here. You come here. I need seven of y'all. I need you three guys on the front. That's three. Brother, can I get you to come help me? One, two, three, seven. Perfect. Pastor, right? Yeah. Pastor, I want you to be the altar. Stand right here and just kind of, if you don't mind, if it's not too bad on your knees, can you get on all four? Can you? All right, brother, you come here. I want you to come. I want you to face him. Come back here. We got to build it right. We're building a tabernacle. 
Moses has come down from the holiness of God. And he said, he told me if I build, if I build a tabernacle, he'll dwell with me. And so a tabernacle is what we're going to build. We are going to build a vessel because i got to get back to the presence of God. The Pentecostal, highly energetic, youth rally, lights, smokes, crowds, emotions, that's not enough for me. I need to experience it every day now because I've tasted it. i got to experience it. So can you just give me like basketball hoop arms? Just like this. That's perfect. That's perfect. All right, you come here. Stand right here and face this way. Back up right here. We've got to build it right. We're building a tabernacle, and God told us to build it exactly like this. Now put your arms up like this and give me some spirit fingers. All right. You stand right here. You put your arms out like this. Wonderful, wonderful. You, you stand right here and just face all of that. That would be wonderful. And you stand facing this way. You face him. Now I want you to stretch your arms towards one another. Okay, back up a little bit. Back up. We've got to build it right. Back up a little bit. Okay. This microphone is extremely hot. All right, now in the Bible, this is what their church looked like right here. And I don't know what, where we've gone wrong, but in the Old Testament, they did the altar first. I don't, we've messed that up somewhere. I don't know, maybe tradition. Thank, thank you to some of you who were praying before church. That's the way it's supposed to be done. And so the altar was right here. And to go past the altar, Moses had to come. If you can put up Leviticus 1 for me. Because the, the, the glory falls. He builds all of this. And the presence of God is way over there. And Moses wants to go in to be with God because he's already experienced him at his Pentecost moment. And now I want to experience him on Monday. I want to be with him on Monday. And I want to be with him on Tuesday. So I've got the tabernacle. And Moses gets ready to roll in. And the glory of God falls and says, nope, can't come any closer. And the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, speaks to Moses from the tabernacle. Does this bother you? Because it should. You should want to be with him, and you should want to do anything, and this is what God does. He gives him instructions. And this is the book that everybody skips over in their yearly Bible reading time because nobody likes Leviticus, and yet it's the most profound book because it's telling you how to get past this moment right here. The whole book took Moses 30 days to write. 30 days, the whole book revolves around holiness. That's what it means. Touch no unclean thing. If you do, that don't mean you're dead. It just means you need to do a protocol. You need to get it back right. You need to do this, that, and that, and such. So you can get back to the presence of God. The whole book of Leviticus is about how to get to a holy God and how to stay with him. And that's the book we skip over. That's the book we're bored with. Because I want some new revelation. Is this not enough for you? Is the presence of God not, not exhilarating enough? Maybe you're still consumed with the lights, the smoke, the crowds, and the emotion. And so God tells him, he says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. In his, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will. That's the problem with it right there. God's not going to make you do a thing. If you want to get to me, you need to make up your mind. You want to get to me. I'm not going to make you. I'm not going to put a leash around your neck. I'm not going to drag you. I'm just going to call. That's all I'm going to do. And if you want to get here, it's, it's up to you. 
He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle meeting before the Lord. And this is what he does. When they bring the lamb right here, they would put his hand on the head and all of the sin that was in him would transfer to the sacrificial lamb. They would then take it and they would take a sharp fillet knife and they would slit the throat of the lamb, spill out his blood on the side of the altar and they would collect the blood because the blood would get you to the presence. And so they would hold the blood and they would, there would be a, a, an assistant there holding the blood for the priest. And though, then they would take the, the sharp knife and they would cut the feet off. Why? Because the feet were dirty and you can't go to the presence of God with dirty feet. Moses taught us this at the burning bush. He said, cut the feet off with this knife, wash them over here, pull the entrails out, gut the animal, and not, watch this part, take the knife and cut all the skin off. Take the skin and cast it out of the tabernacle of meeting. Why? No flesh belongs in this scenario. Flesh belongs out there in the wilderness. This is holy space. Take the flesh, throw it out, cut the feet off, wash them, pull the guts out. Why? You want to get to the glory of God. No guts, no glory. The guts were the deepest part of the animal, by the way, because deep was calling to deep. And so this is a bloody mess, right? So he would then go and he would wash. And the Bible said this was the labor of water, filled with water, and it was made out of women's mirrors. So when the priest looked over at this, he was washing his face and he could see himself in this. He would see a bloody image. And as the water began to wash him, he would see his face as it was, not because of the sin sacrifice. Slowly but surely, the sin was coming off his face and he could see the image he was supposed to be. And notice he's looking at himself, nobody else. It's interesting, the Bible says we're washed by the water of the word. So when you're reading the Bible, are you trying to fix everybody else or are you looking at your face? And so then he said, okay, good. We're getting there. This is the glory of God. We're getting there. And then he would go into the holy place. There's no natural sunlight because this is the natural realm. He's moving closer to the supernatural. No sunlight here. There's light from the golden candlestick. These were seven sticks connected to one rod, and it meant completion, the whole thing. There were vines coming out of the side of it. It was like a tree of life that was shining forth. One stem, if you cut any of these branches off, they'd fall to the ground because it had to be connected to that one central piece. That's why when you, when Jesus is the vine, you're the branches that come out of his side on the cross. He is one, and without him, you cannot stand. And they would light this from the fire from the altar. And then they would go, and they would take the bread from the presence, and they would say, I get to eat bread with him. I get to go and sit with him. I get to have a meal with him. This is wonderful. And then they would take, they would take sap from inside of a tree, deep thing. They would take the guts from the sacrifice, deep thing. And they took seashells from the bottom of the ocean, deep thing, and they offered it here. And the Bible said when they offered it on this, this altar right here, the smoke would rise up to his nostrils. He would smell it. God would smell that. And he said, oh, they've gotten deep. Bring them into my presence. And they would go in, and these were two angels on top of a mercy seat with their wings stretched forth one another. And God would come and rest right here. Why? Because he would always come and sit between two beings that were reaching for one another. This is where God sits. This is why, by the way, in the New Testament, when he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The context of that passage was reconciliation, making sure you got it right with your brother. Because if you don't have it right with your brother, you better leave your gift at the altar and get it right because you're not going to meet him if you got aught with your brother. So if I were the devil, I'd make you fight over a mask and a shot so you never get to the Holy of Holies. I'd make you fight over skin color. I'd do all that to keep you from the Holy of Holies. 
And then he would come in into the presence of God Almighty. And there he would stand and the Shekinah glory would come down and his face would be lit up with the presence of God because the God came down in light. There is no candlelight, no sunlight. It was his light. You are in the deepest realm of the spirit at this point. And see, a lot of church people are okay with this point right here. They like the bread from the preacher as he tosses it out through preaching. They like a little touch of the Holy Ghost. And they, they don't really go to the deep places, but there's those select few who are love this place right here and they say I don't care what you do you can meander about and out here if you want to but as for me I want to go as deep as I can into the presence of God my question to you is this where are you at so watch this all of this gets dissolved it's all done away with and Jesus steps onto the scene and in John it says that he came and dwelt amongst us the word dwelt in Greek is tabernacled God was meeting with us he came to dwell with us. You guys can sit down. He came to dwell with us. But the pressure still exists. Now watch this. If you can go to Numbers 1 and 1. After all of that, remember Exodus 40. God spoke to Moses from the tabernacle. He writes for 30 days, Brother Jonathan, a book on holiness. I will not touch this anymore. I will not go there anymore. I will not look at that anymore. I will not say this anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to experience what I felt by grace at Pentecost. I want to feel it all day long. Grace touched him on Pentecost, but if he wanted to live Pentecost, he needed to be holy. You see, we're okay with just a touch of Pentecost. We don't want to live Pentecost, but to live it is to be holy. Moses writes for 30 days, and watch what happens next. After 30 days, after the book of Leviticus is written, Numbers 1 and 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses where? In the wilderness, in the tent of meeting. How do you go from to in? Leviticus. A whole book on holiness of what not to do, where not to go. Does it matter to you? I can tell you how desperate you are for the deep by looking at your history on YouTube. I can tell you how passionate you are for the deep things of the Spirit by your phone bill. I can tell you how deep and how your prayer life looks by looking at the number of text messages you've sent in a month. I can tell you how passionate you are about the kingdom by looking at a bank statement. This is the question I have for you. Are you willing to do anything to get to the depths? Are you willing to say, God, I will never look at that again? Guys, are you willing to say, God, I'll never venture off on the search bar side of Instagram because I don't want to offend your eyes that you put inside of me? Ladies, are you willing to say, God, I will not allow my emotions to be distraught over a guy anymore because my emotions were reserved for you in the presence of your spirit when I'm in a church service? God, you're the one who gets to use my emotions not that guy. God, I will give you anything because I don't want to have a from relationship. I want to have an in relationship. This is the law of the burnt offering, it says. And then Romans 12, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 
acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Why? Because the cross was unreasonable. Giving up something is not that unreasonable. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you read in Hebrews and it said the word of God is quick and powerful, sharpening any two-edged sword, it was not a sword that fought your battles, by the way. The sword is translated in Greek to a fillet knife. That word is taking your flesh off when you read it. And the reason why I don't see people going to the depths is because it seems to be they don't know how to use this. Because this starts carving away at the flesh and it says, no, the flesh doesn't belong in the holy sanctum of God. This starts cutting your feet off and washing them. This, can, this is fighting you, not your battles. This, the biggest battle this book is fighting is you. We're the enemy to the word. I'm not reading this to have a hashtag blessed life. I'm not reading this so that I can have a successful life. I'm reading this so I'll know how to get into his presence. I'm coming to a close. The term, just go visit the altar. Is something I want to address tonight. You don't visit altars. You are called to live on altars. You don't get to just take up the cross on Sunday. You, don't, you, you live on that cross. Do you know what they did with the sacrifice? Because the Bible says offer your bodies a living sacrifice. You know what they did with that animal, Brother Jonathan? They took that animal. They killed it. And we think that's enough. See, we don't even like doing that. We just like to show a little blood. We've got so much zombie religion for things that were supposed to be dead. We allowed it to come back to life and now it's feeding on the living. No wonder you're obsessed with the walking dead. Because it's testifying to your own life. Things you should have killed, but you've allowed to come back to life. Friends that you disconnected from on social media because they were posting pictures that you shouldn't have been looking at and you hid them from your friends list. But then one day you thought, well, you know what, that was cruel. And you invite them back into your life. This is real life. And so we have all of this going on. We have all these situations plaguing us because we have a visit the altar mentality. But they would take that animal and they'd put it on the altar after killing it. And they would say, we're not just going to kill the sacrifice. We're going to let it sit on the altar. The Bible said all day and all night. Do you know what happened? It was reduced to ashes. There was no animal left. It disappeared and so they would collect the ashes. You know what happens when you live on the altar? You get reduced. And he increases. And you become ashes in his hand so that if he just merely breathes, you can finally be moved. But try breathing on a carcass that never sits on the altar all night. God breathes and you just sit there, dead. God is looking for a generation that all he has to do is just but merely whisper and you're moved. Because when you're in the, the place of so deep, currents you're at the mercies of the current we talk about it in church service we're in the flow of the holy ghost you know what that means that whatever he does that's what we do whatever he's leading that's where we're led whatever he says that's what we say but you got to live on an altar to experience this james cameron did this you can put those pictures up there for me james cameron went down to the depths and he thought to himself you know what i'm going to get down there and I'm expecting to find an entire economy, an ecosystem of fish. After all, we don't know what it's like down there. No telling what we'll find. Brother Jonathan, he was disappointed because when he got to the bottom, 
he looked and he said, where are they? Where are the fish? I thought we were going to find a whole lot of new, new animals down here. I thought we were going to find a whole world. But there was few. But this is what I found encouragement with. He found some. See, this is what I, I begin to imagine Scripture. It says, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few be there that find it. That word straight in Greek is telebo. It means pressure. Pressure is the way. And few be there that find it because just it's pressure. But he did find some fish. And look, this is what they begin to look like. Notice something. Notice something here. That what he found in the depths was a being, a, a, a creature whose flesh disappeared. And all you could see was the inward parts. On full display, this is me. Like it or not, it may not be as pretty as you thought. It may not be as extravagant as you thought. We may look a little odd to you. We may even be alien-like. But this is home for us. This is where we're comfortable. This is where we live. And we may look odd to you, but I've got nothing to hide here. I don't have any flesh in the depths. And notice also, light stops penetrating the sea at the 666-foot mark. No more light. Do you know why fish have all these extravagant colors? The clownfish, Finding Nemo and Dora. You know why they look like that? They rub up against coral reef and they get their colors from their environment. Hashtag church flow. Your environment says a lot about what you look like and what people see. That's shallow Christianity. That's coral reef Christianity. Anybody can post a picture of reading a Bible on Instagram. Anybody can station the Bible just right with your coffee there. Anybody can do that. That's shallow. Where are the ones that don't have to post about it? I'm curious also, where's the young man who comes to me and says, I had a vision, not of preaching youth congress. I had a vision I was washing feet. You see, that's deep. Shallow has visions of preaching to thousands. Deep has visions of serving. And since there was no light, their bodies create their own light. Sounds a little bit like Moses coming down from the presence of God and his face shining forth with light, doesn't it? And so James Cameron said, how can they live in the depths? Look at them. They, they shouldn't be able to survive down here. Let's collect them, bring them up to the shallow end, and let's examine them. And so they did. They collected these fish. And when they broke past that 600-foot marker and they began to ascend into the shallow end of the pool, all of the fish they collected died. In fact, so gruesome, they exploded. And it dawned on James Cameron, ah, the way they live in the deep, and when they dissected the bodies, they found out the way they survive in the deep places was because the pressure that was pushing in on them, it was equalized with the pressure inside pushing out. 16,000 pounds per square inch crushing on, on them. They're able to live because inside of them was 16,000 pounds per square inch pushing against it. They said, we can live down here because there's something in us. It's not in you. I can survive in the deep because there's something inside of me 
that you've forgotten about. And so when people tell me they're filled with the Holy Ghost and don't have a prayer life, I look at you and say, no, you're not. You have a touch of the Holy Ghost, but you're not full of the Holy Ghost because if you were, you'd be longing for these places and you wouldn't care what people thought of you. You would pray and you would snot and you would cry on the altar and not be concerned if anybody's looking at you. You'd run to the altar whether the preacher gave an altar call or not like this man right here. This is what Deep does. I didn't call this altar. He just came to it because he was hungry for it. And so what I'm not going to do tonight is I'm not going to give an altar call. All I'm going to do is let the voice of God just say, whoever wants me, come and get it. And here's what I know. He'll give it to anybody who wants it. So what are you going to do right now? Are you hungry for the deep or are you satisfied with just regular church? And I wonder if you'll do it without music. I wonder if you'll get to a place so deep in the spirit without somebody coaching you there. I'm preaching hard on purpose because if it offends you, then maybe that's what you need to repent of. But if you're really hungry for the deep, you won't care how hard the message was. You'll just go after it. The elders as well. All of us are going to go into the deep. You're not too old to go into the depths of God. All of us are going into the presence of God. Elders, show the young people how it's done. Raise your hands. Go into the deep. Forsake the pressure and say, I'm going into the places where God is and I want to be with Him. Come on, let's see it. Go after him. He's not stiff-arming you. He's calling you. The weight of the world is not yours to carry. The weight of the glory is what you were hardwired to carry. Receive the glory tonight. Hello, thank you again for joining the podcast of First Church. We're so honored that you were able to stop by and listen to this message today. Pray it was a blessing to you. I want to remind you uh, that you can get connected with us on our social media accounts by looking up First Church Woodland or First Church Vacaville, both on Facebook and Instagram. We would love to get connected with you there. Uh, Also, you can go to our website, firstchurch.app, and download our app from there and stay connected that way. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining and we'll see you in the next podcast.